Good morning. Man. Jamie, I got your back. A little uh, sniffly up there too. My allergies acted up during that worship service as well, so I can... It's just dusty up there. I don't know. Um, Now, it is good to show an expression of joy and an expression of emotion knowing that our Savior is risen. That we celebrate that every Sunday, but on, on Easter Sunday, we really amp it up a little bit. And it's exciting to do that and, and to know and to contemplate and to, to ponder all that He has done uh, for us. It is, a, it is a blessing. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read the whole chapter today as we celebrate our risen Savior and, and worship Him and hopefully honor and glorify Him. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 28. If not, it'll be on the screen right behind me, and you can follow along there. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go up to Galilee, and there they will see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Would you pray with me? Father, we we thank you so much. We thank you so much that we see the power of God in the resurrection of the the body of Jesus Christ. We thank you that, that in this resurrection... There is hope and freedom and joy. Father, I pray that as we we dive into this today, we we look at this, this 
altering of, of just our lives through the resurrection, this, this changing of everything that we glorify and honor you. That, Father, we can, we can take the excitement and the joy and, the, and, and, and everything that is wrapped up here in celebrating this and share it with others, making disciples as we go. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name I pray. Amen. So in, in preparing for today's message, um, I read through all four of the gospel accounts of the, of the resurrection repeatedly. I, I probably read through them all four at least two or three times a day, just re- getting ready, trying to figure out, well, where, where do I go? How do I grab? What do I, what do, I do? Right? And, and the more I read through each one of these accounts, the, the more I am amazed by the accounts of the resurrection, the more I'm amazed at, at what God has done in resurrecting Christ. And, and, and I'm amazed at this particular moment in history and this moment in history and, and the accounts of this moment and how crucial it is to our faith that, that without the resurrection, then our preaching and our faith is in vain, as we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. The resurrection of, of Jesus establishes his lordship over all things and urges us to trust in him and surrender to him. See, in, in this modern society, faith and religion have become a, a matter of, of personal preference and opinion. Right? There, there are those who would even call themselves Christians, but might tell you that all world religions are basically the same and that they all lead to the same basic conclusions and point you to the same God. See, they live their truth through Christianity, but others may live their truth in another way. Folks, this is, this is some spiritually dangerous living. Spiritually dangerous living. See, in a faith and a belief system that, that is not rooted in truth is an irresponsible and hollow faith and belief system. Living, quote-unquote, your truth does not mean the same thing as living the truth. Right? I have this student, right, that I work with him all the time. I'm trying. And, and he just will not make any corrections in any math work that we do. This is what you need to do to correct this. Okay. Go back to your seat, get that done, and I'll come see you in a minute. And he just, he will not make the corrections. And I you didn't make the corrections. I, I just had this conversation with him Thursday. We, we took a quiz. I said, you, you had time to make the corrections. I, I showed you how to make the corrections, and you didn't make the corrections on your quiz. Nope. Why not? I was happy with my answers. You got a, you got a 2 out of 12. Yeah, but I was happy with my answers. I liked my answers better than the right ones. Right? This is, this is him, right, living his truth. This is what this is. I mean, it, it seems a little silly, but this is it. He's, he's living his truth. But here's the thing is he's not real happy with the consequences of living his truth in my math class. You understand that you get a 2 out of 12, that's what I have to put in the grade book, Right? Yeah. Do you like that? Well, no. That I, uh, okay. I don't know where to go. See, in my thoughts, and I'm thinking about this, fifth grade math class is probably the easiest place in the world 
to face the tough consequences of living your truth. Failing fifth grade math is not that big a deal in the long run, right? But eternity is the hardest place to face the tough consequences of living your truth rather than living the truth. And see, even though people are encouraging others to live their own truth, right? We, we see this all the time. Oh, girl, go live your truth, right? She's, we, we see this. They don't really believe it completely. Right? Nobody really believes living your own truth is, is, is a real thing. So you go to, the, go to the grocery store to buy a box of cereal. Price on the box says $4.99. Price on the shelf says $4.99. The price, when the checker scans the box, says $4.99. But while you're standing there at the checkout line, the grocery clerk decides to do a quick price check and do a quick price fix and then changes the price from $4.99 to $9.98. Why are you you changing the price of my cereal? Well, I feel that the true price of that box of Cap'n Crunch should be $9.98 instead of $4.99. Now, we're not going to put up with anybody messing with our Cap'n Crunch that way. Even if it's an Oops All Berries box, I'm not going to let that happen. Right? We're, we're, we're not going to put up with that. We can't be okay with the grocery clerk living out their truth like that. Right? We all inherently have a sense of truth within us. We know how to operate within the truth. But when it comes to matters of faith and eternity, for whatever reason, we often allow our feelings rather than truth to prevail. Do you really think God governs the universe based on your preferences and your feelings? I hope not. I wouldn't want God to run the universe on my preferences and my feelings. And see, what we see here in in Matthew's account of the resurrection is that we must respond to this event based in truth, not feelings not emotions, not preferences, right? And we all know this story. This is it's one of those stories we know. It's much like the Christmas story. We know it, right? So, so some of the women who had been followers of Christ get up early on Sunday morning after Jesus was crucified, and, and they had taken spices and fragrances to anoint Jesus' body, as, as Mark tells us. And then they get to the tomb, and they're greeted by this earthquake and an angel, who rolls the stone covering the tomb back. The appearance of the angel makes the guards scared stiff. Like they're like dead men. I love that line. Like they just great. The angel tells the ladies to not fear and invites them in to look and see that the tomb is empty because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Right? Then the ladies, they head back. They're going to go tell the 11. And and as they Head that way, they encounter Jesus himself, and they fall down at his feet, and they worship him. And Jesus instructs the ladies to tell the disciples the good news that he's risen from the dead, and and to go meet him in Galilee. And they do as they are instructed. And Peter and John, as we see in, in the Gospel of John, they go running to see the tomb for themselves. All right? And I always love the fact that John points out he got there quicker. You know, 
I was just, you know, the disciple that Jesus loved got there first. Just kind of, I always find that amusing. But then the guards of the tomb, they, while this is all taking place and the ladies are heading back to tell the 12 or the 11, then the guards of the tomb tell the chief priests of the Jews about this. They report the missing body to the authorities. And those guards are then paid off to tell the story that while they slept, the disciples stole the Jesus' body. And it's a common lie that circulated among the Jews then in the apostolic time. And it's a common lie that is still circulated a little bit today. And there are a couple things we need to, to look at and we need to think about as these gospel accounts of the resurrection. First is that, that all four gospels credit women with being the initial eyewitnesses to the resurrection. That's a big deal. Now, it's not a big deal in the way some people are going to want to make it a big deal, but it is a big deal because this is not how someone in the ancient Near East would build credibility for a story. Ladies, I hate to tell you this, but 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, your testimony would not have been as valued or seen with very much merit. Sorry. But that's the reality of it, right? That, that at this particular time and in that culture, the testimony of women was not valued and didn't take any creed. It, it didn't have any merit. And so you wouldn't start off this story by giving it to people who would be seen as less than credible. But yet that's what Jesus does. Second, go back to those guards again, right? The guards themselves did not deny Jesus' body was missing. Now they were definitely looking for an alternate explanation. Um, we got we to gotta, we gotta tell somebody. Right? I'm, I'm looking here at, at, at Bruce, who has is, who is served on guard duty. And when something goes wrong on guard duty, the first thing that happens is, what's our excuse and what's our reason? That's what's happening to these Roman guards as well. What happened? How do we do this? Right? The Jewish leaders couldn't produce the body of Jesus either. Right? If they had produced the body of Jesus, it would have ended everything. The Christian movement, the way, as it is called in, in, the, in the book of Acts, would have ceased. No one could deny the tomb that once held Jesus was now empty. So it begs a question for us to think here. What happened? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Now we're not talking about like a resuscitation. We're not talking about reincarnation. We're talking about resurrection. Was Jesus really dead for three days and afterward rise up and physically walk out of the tomb? Now I, I look around the congregation and I know what our answer is. Yes. Okay. But there are folks out there who, who ponder this, who wonder. And there, there are several possible explanations as to what has happened. One idea says that Jesus did not die on the cross. The teachings of the Quran do this. The Quran recognizes Jesus as a great prophet, a man of God. He recognized him as a great teacher. But it states that it was a man who looked like Jesus who went to the cross. He had a doppelganger, had a lookalike. Right? The problem here is that the Quran's earliest writings come 600 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of Christian as well as a lot of non-Christian sources that are much closer to the time of Jesus' death that do confirm that it was Jesus of Nazareth who was on that cross. 
There's another Jesus didn't die on the cross kind of idea that floats around out there, that, that it says that he was hurt really badly on the cross, causing him to faint and, and appear dead to the Roman soldiers who weren't doctors to know that he was really dead. Now, one, Roman soldiers would have seen a lot of dead bodies. They would have known a dead body. So there's, there's one hole in that. But, but I want you to think about this idea, this, this particular Jesus didn't die on the cross idea that he, that he caused him to faint. I want you to think about this as like the scene from The Princess Bride, right? When Wesley is just mostly dead when he gets taken to, to Miracle Max, right? That's kind of their argument, is that Jesus was just mostly dead when he was taken into the tomb. Right? This is sometimes called the swoon theory, that Jesus swooned on the cross. And the premise is this, that Jesus went through his six trials. Right, He had been almost 36 hours without any sleep or food, that he had survived a scourging, that he had endured thorns shoved into his scalp, he had had nails driven through his hands and nails driven through his feet, that he had hung on a cross for several hours and then was stabbed in between some ribs so that water and blood flowed out. Then he would have been wrapped tightly in grave clothes and carried away to a tomb where he rested. Right? Where he rested. And then when he felt well enough, after three days, he got up, quietly rolled the stone away from the tomb entrance, then snuck past the Roman guards and went about his merry way. Yeah, just a little unlikely to me, right? It seems less than plausible for sure. Another idea around the resurrection is that Jesus' tomb wasn't even empty, right? When the, when the ladies went early Sunday morning to anoint Jesus' body, in their grief and in their despair, they went to the wrong tomb. The ladies then brought the disciples back to the wrong tomb. And everyone else continued to always go to the wrong tomb. And that's where the story of the resurrection came about, that that's everybody going to the wrong tomb repeatedly brought about the story of the resurrection. It doesn't hold water on several accounts, right? The Roman and Jewish authorities did not want Jesus' followers claiming he had been raised from the dead. That, that's First and foremost, that's why we see the payoff in Matthew chapter 28 here, right? That's even why that there was a guard placed at his tomb in Matthew 27, right? And it wouldn't make sense for them to guard an empty tomb. Another reason why it doesn't hold water is Joseph of Arimathea could easily have identified the correct tomb as it belonged to him and his family. The tomb was empty, clearly. Then we get to the conspiracy theory that, that the Jewish leaders wanted to propagate, right? That, that the Jesus' disciples stole his body theory. This one doesn't make much sense because we see in the accounts of all of the Gospels, all of the disciples acting in this, this fear and going into hiding at the time of Jesus' arrest. Peter, we know, kind of quietly followed him around. John followed him around, but the other guys scattered. And they went into hiding. It's difficult to believe that, that a bunch of fearful fishermen were able to overcome a professional Roman guard at the tomb and then steal Jesus' body. Just 
a little implausible to me. Another thing to remember is that resurrection would have been seen as a very silly concept by many at this time. This is this doesn't just jive with a lot of people. It does not make sense that the disciples would risk so much to proclaim something that people didn't even really understand or or how to categorize. The Romans executed many, many Messiah wannabes during this time period. This was not an uncommon event for them. But none of the wannabes' followers ever claimed that their leaders returned from the dead. This is new with Jesus. So what the disciples of Jesus were saying wasn't part of even the religious conversation of the day. It just wasn't part of it. Greco-Roman view of death was that you were liberated from your weak and weary body and free from the sickness and pain of earth. And you were done. The Sadducee party of the Jews denied any kind of resurrection would happen, spiritual or physical. They denied the fact that there was even an afterlife altogether. Your ultimate goal was to please God here on earth and be done. So what the disciples were saying about Jesus would make very little sense to very many people. People would not have recognized this as even a choice. Like, wait, you can have a resurrection? I didn't know that was a possibility. It wouldn't have computed for them. But the tomb was empty and people had seen Jesus. And this is why there are some who claim the disciples were delusional. This is another theory out there. Right? Because science wasn't as clear then as science is, is clear today, and people were more easily and readily available to believe in the supernatural. And in the post-traumatic stress of Jesus' death, the disciples still believed that Jesus was leading them and guiding them. They had visions of Jesus, maybe hallucinations, but they believed Jesus was alive spiritually. And, and in their delusion that Jesus was alive spiritually... That's how we get the idea grown about Jesus being physically alive. They're claiming the apostles delusional. The problem with the delusional aspect of that is that it doesn't take into account how drastically the worldview of these followers changed virtually overnight. There's not a lot of time here to process, discuss, or debate, or develop the story that they're supposedly delusional men would tell, right? This isn't how it works. And, and here's the thing. We've got to stop and think. The resurrection happens. 50 days later is Pentecost, right? So, so within 50 days, the followers of Jesus go from being a handful of faithful men and women to well over 3,000. It doesn't sound like the story of delusional men to gain that kind of following that quickly. It also doesn't take into account the the 500 brothers at one time that Jesus appeared to, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. Many who were alive at the time that he wrote the letter to the church in Corinth. N.T. Wright reminds us this, and I I like this quote. It says, The early Christians did not invent the empty tomb and meetings or sightings of the risen Jesus. Nobody was expecting this kind of thing. Nobody would have invented it. To suggest otherwise is to stop doing history and to enter into a fantasy world of our own. 
See, all of these explanations for what happened that morning lead us to one conclusion, that Jesus died on the cross and actually rose from the grave. And there's no other conclusion to these events of that day and how they so drastically changed history. See, very few people out there will deny Jesus died by crucifixion. Very few people out there will will deny his disciples believed he rose from the dead and, and appeared to them. And very few people out there will will deny the lives of Jesus' followers were changed as a result of seeing and following the risen Christ. The world has sought to cover up Jesus' resurrection since it happened. All the proposed explanations fall short. Yet if Jesus did indeed die on the cross and indeed did rise from the grave, then there have to be some serious implications to that truth. And he did. And there are. Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we have no need to pay attention to any of his teaching. But because he did, we should hang on his every word. We have to accept that Jesus has absolute authority. As he says in verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus has authority over life and death. I love what he says in John 10, 18. No one takes it, meaning his own life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. To think that Jesus has the authority and the power to give up his life and to bring his life back. No man can do that. Only God. Jesus has authority over sin and Satan, right? Everyone dies because of sin. Death is the payment for sin. Yet Jesus died without sinning. So if Jesus had no sin, why did he die? He died for our sins. He died in our place. His resurrection is not just victory over death, but it's victory over sin. I love Paul writing about it. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks to be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus has authority over you and me. Now, don't make the mistake of acknowledging Jesus' authority is in like an abstract manner without taking some personal applications here, right? Romans 10, 9-13 says... Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This means that Jesus reigns over us supremely, right? He is the sovereign ruler of our lives. Whether you believe in Jesus as Lord or not doesn't really matter here. Jesus is still in charge. He is Lord. A lot of Christians say, I decided to make Jesus Lord of my life. He already was. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 tells us that so that the name of Jesus every so at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Jesus is already Lord. The question is, is will you submit to him now, or will you submit to him when it's too late? See, Jesus' authority and supreme reign over us means that he loves us deeply. The whole purpose of the resurrection is all about Christ's deep love for us. Right? God the Father sent Jesus the Son to pay the price for our sin. Jesus the Son willingly did that for our benefit. The resurrection shows us that there is true hope and salvation through Christ. The resurrection validates everything scripture says about jesus the resurrection validates everything that jesus ever taught the resurrection validates everything that jesus came to earth to accomplish jesus's authority and supreme reign over us means that he will also judge us eternally in john 5 21 and 23 jesus tells us about his role as judge For as the Father raises the dead to give them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. The Father judges no one, but gives all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, this is good news, that Jesus is our judge. It's good news because you can be saved from eternal judgment if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It's a hopeful reminder that this world in and of itself is not the end. There's more to come. Film at 11, right? This This is more to come. But it leads us to getting into a couple of questions, right? And the first question is, do you believe in the historical resurrection of Jesus? And I get this. I am preaching in Morgan County, Indiana. And if I ask, do you believe in the historical resurrection of Jesus? The answer of the majority of people will give me is, you know it. Yep. Sure enough. Right? And I could ask, do you believe the Bible is God's word? I could also ask, do you believe Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the grave? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? And with all of those questions, I could get a resounding yes from the vast majority of people I ask here locally. I could even go as far as ask, will you be committed to living a moral life and be involved in a local church? And I'm going to get the answer, yeah, sure, why not, from most people. The interesting thing with that is, is do you also know who answers yes to all those questions? Satan. Does Satan believe that Jesus historically rose from the grave? He sure does. Does Satan believe that the Bible is the Word of God? He sure does. That Jesus is the Son of God? Yeah, he believes that. Does he believe that Jesus is the only way to get into heaven? Yeah, he believes all of those things. See, Satan knows the truth, but he only knows it in an intellectual, mental sense. And knowing the truth intellectually does not save you. Knowing the truth intellectually, if anything, causes and creates 
a false sense of eternal security. Because if you were to ask Satan this, will you repent of your sin and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord? His answer would be a resounding no. If you remember right, when Jesus was tempted for 40 days, Satan actually asked Jesus to surrender his life to him. That's, that's where the sin was rooted. The fact that we want God to be like us rather than us be like God. See, without surrender, our confessions mean nothing. When we present the gospel of Jesus Christ, follow believers, hear me on this one, we got to emphasize submission comes with confessing that Jesus is Lord. That without submission, there's no true acknowledgement of lordship. Many have... Many professing Christians have intellectually made a commitment to Jesus and they've prayed a prayer and they've joined a church. They live a moral life, but they have never surrendered to Jesus' absolute authority and they've missed salvation. I ask today, do you surrender to Jesus' absolute authority in your life? Because that's what it means to truly confess that Jesus is Lord. That confession is not just the words we say, but it's about the heart condition that we have. And it's a heart condition that says, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again as, as my Savior, and my life now belongs completely to Him. It's my prayer that if that question were asked of you today, you could say yes. In a moment, we're going to have a time of the Lord's Supper to celebrate and commemorate the resurrection of Jesus Christ this Sunday morning. We're going to have our time of invitation as well, our, our closing time of song. And, and as we do this, I want us to contemplate this. As we were studying today in, in small group, um, the scripture said to us to test ourselves, right? to know that we are saved. I would ask that in this time of quiet, reflective prayer that we would do the same. In a moment, we'll have you come up and you'll, you'll get the elements um, and we'll have our time of Lord's Supper as well as a time of prayer. Let's pray before we go into this. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for the power of the resurrection. I thank you for the truth of the resurrection and the hope that it gives us. Father, I pray that as we go from here that we reflect the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our own lives. Fathers, we get ready to take of, of, of the bread and of the, and of the cup. I pray that we do it in a manner that honors and glorifies you, that we are contemplative and reflective and we are testing ourselves. Father, we want to honor you in all that we do.